21. All right there, everyone, and welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us over on Twitter. We are at Hits21UK. That is at Hits21UK. And you can email us as well. Just send it over to Hits21Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Just like our previous episodes, we're going to be looking back at five UK number one singles. This time we'll be covering the period between the 14th of May through to the 1st of July. Hope everybody survived the heatwave. In, mm. in in the week, I hope, I hope we're all we're all doing okay on that regard. Um, Andy, how how did you cope with the soaring temperatures? Yeah, I don't know if you've heard. We had a bit of weather this week. It was quite easy to miss. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I am currently. Um, I must admit, sorry to my to our listeners, but I am in a state of mild undress because it is still very very hot. It's um, you, we, we're currently in a stage where we're talking about twenty five degrees, as if that's not warm. Where we're like, oh, it's only 25 today. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a perfectly comfortable working temperature. Great. Okay, let's all stick the heating on. Uh, yes, it's been okay. I've had, uh, I followed all the advice, tinfoiled our windows in the loft, kept everything shut, kept the blinds shut, and managed to keep relatively cool. I have survived. I can confirm I survived the 2022 heat wave. I'm so blessed. <laughs> Lizzie, what about you? How did you cope? Yeah, I'm glad we're time dating this episode right off the bat. I feel it's a solid <laughs> strategy for a of podcast. Course. You know, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I I tried doing my homework this week. I looked for the last number one when the UK hit 40 degrees centigrade. And ah. lo and behold, I didn't find one because it's never hit 40 degrees centigrade in the UK <laughs> because that's not fucking normal. <laughs> oh, it's the new normal. It's the new normal. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> Well, um, before we carry on with this week's episode, just want to take a look back at last week and just let everybody know that the listeners' poll was in agreement with us again. It was, oops, I did it again, Britney Spears that won the poll. The correct last week's choice. Episode. Yes, yes, the correct very choice. Much well so. done, everyone. I know we said last week that it might be a bit of a, a tough one to decide what our song of the week was. Not anticipating what was going to happen this week, I think it's also a very tough week this week to to decide between about two or three of them as to what my favourite is. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really good ones this week. It's 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 crowded at the top rather than at the bottom. Um. Yeah. 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 All right back. then. On to this week's episode, and as always, we're just going to give out some headlines from the time period that we're covering on the episode. So, Chelsea beat Aston Villa in the last FA Cup final at the old Wembley Stadium with Roberto Di Matteo scoring the only goal of the game in a 1-0 win, while in golf, Tiger Woods wins his first ever US Open Championship by a huge margin of 15 strokes. 
the much-anticipated Millennium Bridge is open to visitors in London for the first time, but has to close again shortly afterwards when it starts to sway as people walk across it. It is henceforth <laughs> referred to as the Wobbly Bridge by local residents and ends up staying closed for two more years while repairs are made, before being sadly demolished in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince in 2009 <laughs> by Death Eaters. <laughs> Section 28, a law introduced by Margaret Thatcher's government in 1988 forbidding the, quote, promotion of homosexuality in the UK, is repealed in Scotland. It will be another three years until the law is overturned in England. Well done, Scotland. I'm always promoting homosexuality, not going to lie. Yeah, same. (laughs) It's the best way to be. Are you a walking promotion for it, Andy? I pretty much am. Yeah, I'm the other. This is what you could have. Yeah. And England are knocked out of Euro 2000 in the group stages, heading home from the tournament after just eight days. The tournament's eventual winners were France, who beat Italy 2-1 in the final. All right then, um, we're going to give you some pop culture stuff from around that time as well. So at the top of the UK box office, nice and simple for me this week, uh, is Ridley Scott's Gladiator starring Russell Crowe and a young Joaquin Phoenix. It will stay at the top of the UK box office for the entire period that we're covering in this episode, which is a total of seven weeks, uh, which is uh, matching Toy Story's run from earlier in the year. Meanwhile, Eminem's mother, Debbie Nelson, files a $10 million defamation lawsuit against her son after taking exception to his 1999 single, My Name Is, and more specifically, the lyric, My mum smokes more dope than I do. She was she was eventually awarded $25,000 and Eminem continued to make lyrical references to her in his songs. What an interesting story. Yeah. Wow. Only yeah, $25,000. Like, yeah, they famously do not get on. Worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just settled all these lawsuits. Fuck you, Debbie. <laughs> and the American reality series Survivor as its very first episode. Survivor has since gone on to have 42 seasons. What? And is credited with influencing the format of reality TV competitions worldwide ever since. Mm. Yeah. All right then, Andy. Uh, what's going on in the album charts during this period? Thank you, Rob. Yes, over in the album charts. So you may remember last week that Moby completely dominated. He spent five weeks atop the UK albums chart. This week it's very different. It's a free-for-all this time around with five different albums reaching the top during this period. First of all, Tom Jones's Reload makes an impressive return to the top for one week after first hitting number one in October 1999. Whitney Houston's Whitney, The Greatest Hits, which my sister owns a copy of, I remember. Whitney's The Greatest Hits then knocks Tom Jones off the top and achieves two weeks at number one. After that, we get Bon Jovi's Crush, which manages one week at the top. And then Tom Jones returns to the top again for one more week. People couldn't get enough of Sex Bomb, apparently, at this time. And then we get Seven by S Club Seven. Their first album was called S Club, so their second album was creatively titled Seven which hits the top for one week, (laughs) before we finally round off with Eminem's, the Marshall Mathers LP, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, reaching the top at the end of June. And it would go on to score eight times platinum as the years went by, and it was ultimately the third highest-selling album of the year in the UK and the 16th highest-selling album of the decade in the UK. Yeah, it's a fantastic record. 
Um, Lizzie, what's the report from stateside? Yeah, let's have a look at what these idiots are buying in America. <laughs> um, in the US albums charts, No Strings Attached by NSYNC was still at number one until the first week of June, before finally being dethroned by Britney Spears' Oops, parentheses, I did it again, close parentheses, <laughs> for one week. And then the Marshall Mathers LP would be the next album to top the charts and would spend eight weeks at number one between June and the beginning of August. It would go on to be the second biggest selling album of the year behind No Strings Attached by NSYNC and the fourth best selling album of the decade in the US. All three albums would sell over 10 million copies in the US and be certified diamond with the Marshall Mathers LP being one of only seven rap albums to receive the diamond certification. In the US singles charts, meanwhile, Maria Maria by Santana featuring the product GMB enters this period still at number one. Wow. Eventually giving way to Try Again by Aaliyah for one week in the middle of June. The number one for the 1st of July is Be With You by Enrique Iglesias, which is on its second of three weeks at number one. Mm. Oh, wow. Well, I, yeah, wow. I have, a, yeah. I have a quick follow-up question about No Strings Attached by NSYNC. I'm, mm. I'm not really particularly familiar with NSYNC, and I just have to ask, is that title in connection to the bye 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 video where they're all puppets. yes yes it is, it is. Ah, yeah. there we go yeah clever. that was the lead off single from it <laughs> yeah great okay oh god i bet eminem would have been well annoyed at the time having a boy band beat him to the biggest <laughs> selling know, album of the I year know. ah well anyway enough about eminem because i think we have a bit more from him coming up in our show in the future i'm gonna come to the number one singles that we're gonna look at over the next sort of hour and a bit and the first one up is this. Okay, so this is Madison Avenue with Don't Call Me Baby, released as the lead single from the group's debut and only album, The Polyester Embassy. Don't Call Me Baby is Madison Avenue's only UK number one single to date. 
their follow-up singles, Who The Hell Are You and Everything You Need reached number 10 and number 33 respectively later in the year. The Australian duo knocked Britney Spears off the top spot and stayed at number one for one week, fighting off competition from Tom Jones and Moose T's Sex Bomb and Armin Van Helden's Coochie. What? <laughs> Just for God's sake. Jesus. When it was knocked off number one, it fell one place to number two, and by the time it left the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 12 weeks. Lizzie, what do we make of Madison Avenue? Yeah, this is pretty good. Um, there's a definite Aventy's disco influence to at least three of this episode's tracks, and yeah. this one feels the most like something Thomas Bangalter might have put out on the Roulet label back in the day. You know, that minimal sample loop backing is such a late 90s Bangalter trick. Like, I suspect most people will think back to some of the, you know, the earlier Daft Punk tracks, but... I was specifically thinking like Bangalter's remix of Vertigo by Alan Brakes, which is built on about two seconds worth of sample, but built to this absolutely seismic, unforgettable drop. And like this obviously doesn't have a big drop moment, but it has a great sort of disco funk backing that doesn't outstay its welcome despite its repetition, particularly with that, you know, that awesome Bernard Edwards-esque bass line from the Pino D'Angio sample. And like, unlike some of the previous dance numbers we've covered, it's aged quite well because of how it balances that nightclub house vibe with some solid pop hooks, and it therefore doesn't feel out of place when you listen to it kind of independently, just in your bedroom or whatever. So, I mean, it's definitely not the best of the handbag house tracks that hit number one this year, more on that in a future episode, <laughs> but you just try listening to this while managing to sit still and see how far you get. Like, if you're anything like me, you won't make it past the opening verse. Really good stuff. Yeah. All right, then. Andy? Yeah, I have to completely echo um, what Lizzie said there. I, I really, I really, really like this. Um, I'm, I'm very, very fond of this a particular niche thing where I just love it when you get a mild backing synth or something that is just a little bit discordant, just a little bit out of tune. It makes it just sound mm. a little bit quirky. I've, it's one of the things I love about um, Mucho Mambo Sway from 1999. And, um, oh, yeah. And Starships by Nicki Minaj does it quite loudly in them, those weird breakdown bits in the middle. I, I just love a bit of quirkiness in a genre that could very easily be very straightforward and tame, you know, where this is fairly accessible. I wouldn't even say dance music, really. I'd say this is sort of music for a for a bar rather than a nightclub, I guess. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all, but it's something that you could very easily make quite boring, but this is really, really fresh and interesting. I completely agree with you, Lizzie, about how this is still relatively timeless. I would have no hesitation putting this on a party playlist now. I think it's absolutely no, me neither. no problem yeah. with that at all. It has a lovely sound to it, really, really lovely sound. Um, I enjoyed the vocal performance as well. Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with the singer's name. I should have looked that up, I'm afraid, but I enjoy... The, the very kind of disinterested style of singing, the kind of, huh, yeah, I'm too good for you. I'm going to sing a song about you, but I'm not going to enjoy it. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this kind of substance of the lyrics that it's fairly convoluted, fairly involved lyrics to express a very simple point, which is like, I don't belong to you, go away. And it just really paints a picture very, very well. It's, if I was to make a positive comparison to 
last week's Fill Me In by Craig David, where I really laid into him about going way too heavy on the lyrics and needing to rein it back a bit. This is the sweet spot, I think, where there's some nice little lines in there, but it's not overly descriptive. It still has that punch to it. It still has that lightness of touch to it. I think it's very, very good there. It also has loads of hooks, loads and loads of hooks. And I think that's, you know, maybe an obvious point, but that's why it's so hard to sit still through this and not get carried away with it. The chorus is just full of them. Like, every line in the chorus is slightly different to the rest. It's it's a really important thing for me in pop songs that it gets in my head and that I'm able to sing along to it. And it's something this song does really, really well. It's just, it gets the fundamentals right. It's just very, very good on the basics, which means it's kind of timeless in that way. Mm. One final comment on this, which I think we've we've kind of mentioned this privately, but it's very, very reminiscent of Groove Jet, Sophie Ellis Baxter. Um, definitely yeah, that yeah. style of singing, I think, is something that Sophie Ellis Baxter became known for. But I think this type of song as well was very, very in vogue at this time. I think you can see a fairly straight evolution from some of the other dance tracks we've covered in the show so far to this sort of thing, where it's got more substance to it than something like Don't Give Up by Chicane, but it's not over the top. It's still nice and accessible and nice and dancey. Um, I really, really like this. Yeah, I've got very few criticisms of it at all. I really like it, yeah. What you said there, Andy, about um, where you feel like this is music to play in a bar kind of chimes with what you were saying, Lizzie, where there's dance elements to it, but you could not, you know, you, you could imagine yourself kind of just listening to this at home I think um, yeah, yeah, yeah think, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lounge influence in the way that the, especially the percussion behaves. Um, but I get that vibe from the video as well because I know that a lot of um, a lot of uh, Daft Punk stuff on on homework rather than discovery mm. um, reminded me a little bit of this. But we're just beginning to see in this episode, like you were saying there, Liz, you you dropped. Daft Punk. I mean, it'll be a, a while before we discuss Daft Punk on this show, but oh yeah, the French house influences that are just beginning to creep into the charts, and they get you know that they have a big commercial explosion over the next couple of years. Even with tracks that don't make it to number one, like I'm thinking about the one that what's his face was on uh, David Byrne, Lazy. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Th- there's a couple more of those that just. A- begin to creep into the charts and I think this is um, maybe not the beginning of it but at least in terms of the context of our show it's the first time I think we've picked this up and gone ah there's a clear through line here from yeah, one place this, this is definitely a thing yeah yeah, yeah. I think that it, and it's not something I realised before but this is a kind of mini genre at this time and I hadn't realised that before we started making our way through these yeah mm. but yeah I enjoyed this too um, quite a lot the I think this is the first of like Lizzie was saying two or three songs this week to kind of argue that disco and seventy soul aren't dead, and hopefully they'll never die. Um, I think once that bass hook comes in, it's a decent impression of something that maybe Nile Rodgers might have used for an album track for like Sister Sledge in the seventies or something like that. And then if the thing I kept thinking of, and I tested it on YouTube, if you slow it down, if you play, if you go, if you find the song on YouTube and play it at like 0.85 speed, so that it, the bass hook goes do 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 do
it sounds a little bit like something that Diana Ross might have done in the really early 80s. You know, like the I'm coming out upside down kind yeah, of I can era. See that. Yeah. yeah, when she when she was working with Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards. Exactly. Um, maybe a little bit of Jocelyn Brown a couple of years after that as well. Um, and played at a slower speed. This actually kind of reminded me by Street Life. You know, Randy Crawford? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a similar kind of uh, atmosphere and attitude to it. But yeah, you've got that, like the the Nara Rogers kind of like chicka chicka guitar sound you know the uh, the, thing, the lick that it keeps coming back to that kind of reminded me of things like uh, you know Luther's Never Too Much where it's just kind of built on the um, and it's just how yeah. one or two notes yeah, yeah. can propel a song quite far forward and they become mesmeric rather than annoying um, and something like Oliver Jeetham's, um Get Down Saturday Night, which will become very important later on this show. So once I get oh, this, yeah. yeah. So once I get this image in my head, can't really get it out. Um, this feels like maybe something from the, like you say, that sort of late seventies, early eighties kind of disco period. Um, but it's all done quite clearly shown in the video with computers and laptops and. 20th century production. Um, the vocalist, whose name is Shane Coates, I think. Um, oh, thank you. Or April Coates, it depends what she goes by. Uh, I think Shane Coates is a stage name. She's less soulful, she's more of a modern pop vocalist. Yeah. Um, I love the message of the song as well. I'm a bit of a sucker. I think, especially this week, I've kind of found this out for myself. I'm a big fan of pop songs that are just kind of women kind of proudly declaring that like they own their sexuality and there's nothing anyone else can do about it like it reminds me of the it makes me think about the many many reasons that i love pop and there are obviously hundreds and one of the you know one of the reasons is that i think it's one of the few kind of mainstream spaces where women and to be honest anybody can be very forthright with their sexuality and not be totally smacked down for it. Like, you'll always get, like, your pearl-clutchy mobs and your hate groups, and they'll try and get back at you in other ways, uh, which I'll go to in a second. And, of course, like, there'll always be censors and cases of women and minorities being shut out, but, like, this got to number one. It was a number one single. It got mainstream public approval and acceptance. And I don't want to reference, like, future number ones too much, but one thing I will kind of say about this being not just women I'm just sort of thinking about we've got Will Young coming up very soon and he was getting number one singles while section 28 was being enforced yeah yeah and yeah that's what I meant about them maybe getting you back in other ways um it somehow manages to be a safe space and a public forum at the same time and I'm not saying that like this song has necessarily radical intentions it seems like a bit of a you know it's got broad appeal but it seems like it's coming from a personal place rather than a a political place it's not a polemic or anything like that but you know i wonder how the world would be if the if, if, if it was more like the pop charts make it seem um yeah yeah but i don't i don't think i love this because okay after a certain point i just wish it did something else because it never really moves away from that baseline and it starts to rely on it a bit too much and i think that what separates this from some of the tracks i referenced before 
is that as compositions, those songs, they grow and they keep changing and they add in new ideas kind of past the halfway point. Like I'm think I mentioned um, Get Down Saturday Night before. That ends up introducing that I can't wait for Saturday to begin, which eventually gets sampled by um, what's his face for that. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, for I know the what you week. mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, I know what you mean. Yeah, and never too much has after about that minute and a half. It has that never too much, never too much, never too much, and then the various kind of syncopated and delayed restarts after every break that it has. And I think that after that second chorus, I'm kind of looking for it to go somewhere. And it in, instead it kind of strips itself back and then repeats the final chorus. Um, I think a lot of its ideas are a bit front-loaded and they're cool and I like it. I love what it stands for. I love how it makes me feel. But when I get down to like the nitty-gritty of it, I think, you know, if I'm kind of splitting hairs, deciding do I just really like this or love it, I think I just kind of side on just really liking it i just think it's it's really cool it just has it just has a vibe to it that's very very like huh i want to make music like these guys it's it's it really kind of for some reason is reminiscent to me of groovers in the heart which similarly has that vibe about it of just Mm. this is just very cool this is very good production this is very good use of ideas it just feels very very different um maybe that's in context where we've had you know some more kind of gloopy dull songs preceding this um but i just think yeah i think it's just a really cool piece of music um and it yeah i really liked it i I considered putting this forward for the vault but i decided not to because i thought it's not that special but i do have quite a special place in my heart for this one yeah yeah no i i agree with the cool aspect like i know i know what you're saying rob where you feel like it needs something else but i think the kind of the fact that it doesn't need to be showy that it can just it it's sort of self-assured like that that it doesn't need to move beyond what it already knows and what it's already saying mm, and it's laid back and confident yeah yes, exactly definitely mm. okay next up is this So, as you heard Man and Andy's wonderful impression of it, this is (laughs) Day and Night by Billy Piper, released as the lead single from Billy Piper's second and final solo album, Walk of Life, 
Day and Night is Billy Piper's sixth UK single overall and her third to reach number one after Because We Want To and Girlfriend reached the summit in the late 90s. This knocked Madison Avenue off the top spot and stayed at number one for one week, fighting off competition from Master Blaster 2000 by DJ Luck and MC Neat, which reached number five. When it was knocked off number one, it fell three places to number four, and by the time it left the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 13 weeks. Andy. Yes, thank how, you. How do we feel about Billy Piper? I know Billy Piper has a special place in your heart for different reasons, but well, I yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to address this elephant in the room right from the start that I am a huge Doctor Who fan, um, and so for me, Billy Piper is well, not just for me, for any Doctor Who fan really, that she, you, you cannot quite overstate the importance that she has um, in the history of Doctor Who. That she may not be everybody's favourite companion, but she's, I think at this point by far and away the most famous and most iconic and it's very weird in comparison to, to look back in, in retrospect I mean it's very weird to look back on her pop career long before that uh, because what's interesting is that when she first got that role there was quite a lot of derision of like Billy Piper she's a pop star she's going to be rubbish that's silly stunt casting isn't it uh, and she turned out to be a tremendous actress and she's done all sorts of brilliant things ever since then and she now is so well known as a award-winning actress that I think people probably now have started to forget about her pop career which is also strange because she was a really big star she's had two independently very successful careers um, and I kind of love her, I think she's great what's interesting to me about this song is that it's it's actually very different to a lot of her earlier stuff. I say earlier, it's all in a fairly compressed time period, but because you want to sort of started as a kind of teeny bopper, hey parents, don't tell me what to do kind of, you know, bit of fluff, really. And then Honey to the Bee, which is a kind of, you know, relaxed, sort of seductress kind of piece of pop. And then you get this, which has that kind of slam drum beat and had the heavy, heavy backing. And it's quite obvious why she's trying to do Britney Spears. That's that's just what everybody's doing at this time. And I thought you could give this song to Britney and it would work. Like, it's clearly designed that way. Is that just me? Is everybody else getting no, that as well? you are this not the very, only person yeah. who's thought that. No, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. It's very, very Britney-inspired, um, which is not a bad thing, you know. <laughs> Britney's very successful at this time, but that very, very heavy on the beat um, style of this song soaked in reverb absolutely soaked in it the loudness and a similar kind of lyrical approach as well it's very very reminiscent um, I don't think this is anything special and I think it probably did find its way to number one by aping a very popular sound of the time through Britney that's not to diminish this in any way because so many songs do that with different genres but I don't think this is anything particularly special but I couldn't help singing along to this in the car when it came on. It's um, it has stuck around. It has stuck around. I, I do think it's got a very very easy sing along chorus to it. Don't think it's anything special, but I don't think there's anything bad about it either. I think it's a clear attempt at trying to be the UK's next big Britney wannabe, um, which always happens when someone new appears on the scene. You know, Cliff Richard trying to be Elvis rather unsuccessfully <laughs> and then all sorts of people trying to be the Beatles somewhat unsuccessfully after they went to America and then people try to be the big pop stars 
Billy Piper didn't need to do that because she had an enormous career ahead of her in a completely different way. So this is just a bit of a novelty looking back, but I quite like it. I have no real problems with this. I quite enjoy this song. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bit of a confession to make. Um, I mm-hmm. think Honey to the Bee, uh, the album that she, she did before this one, um, I think that was the first album I ever kind of owned. Oh, I, obviously, wow. my parents bought it for me because I was only four or five, but my first <laughs> kind of, my first bright, proper, that I can remember, my first love in, my first loves in pop music when I was around four and five years old were like Spice Girls, Steps, Bewitched, and Billy Piper. Uh, and then when she turned up in Doctor Who years later, at the time, I really fancied her and I was dead sad when she left the show. <laughs> um, but like, even now, like, I kind of look back and obviously like, I don't fancy her because she's only like, I don't know, she's like 19 in this video or something like that. So, you know, it's all a bit like, you know, times move on, things change. But she has such a distinctive look. Like, if the song isn't distinctive, like, you never forget that face. The, yeah. I don't know what it is, like the like the deep eyes and like the very prominent jawline. She just has a very very distinctive face, and I think. No, sorry, it, to, sorry to interrupt you on that, Rob, but it is interesting that they. It is kind of the point of Rose in Doctor Who as well that they they. The reason that she is special is that she just has something about her, whether it's the personality, mm. the look. There's just something about her that is very very special that no one ever quite put their finger on. So it's very interesting that you say that. Yeah. And it's a bit of a shame because I think as much as I'm in favour of the song, I, I don't love it. I think if you're going to try and rip off the sound that Britney basically cornered in a matter of seconds, um, <laughs> you might as well, you know, make a good go of it. And it, it does. It does make a good go of it. Um, I love songs that have bridge sections that sound like choruses so that when the chorus comes around, it sounds massive. Like, the Scissor Sisters do it a couple of times. Um, bit of a weird tangent to go off on, but Recover by Churches has got one of my all-time favourite, like, bridges that sounds like a chorus. And then when the chorus comes, it's like you've been shot into space. Um, this has quite a good one as well, because you have the... Because the only time I think, I think of, of you. you... Like, that sounds like a chorus melody, but then it goes, I love the day, and it returns to that introduction chorus that they do and it's a good moment i think it lifts this song from being kind of like a bit forgettable and a bit oh it's a bit of a shame that they took someone with such a potentially very unique pop personality and kind of just pushed her through a britney filter and see what fell out the other side um it also reminded me a little bit of everybody yes like, every, every yeah. now and again i was expecting the bass line in the back to just go bow you know the, the kind of like souped up overproduced hip-hop beat the orchestral stabs like i was half expecting it to kind of kick into the the backstreet boys song makes it hard for me to separate the song in my mind from those two and i think that's what drags it down plus the um the end which i'm gonna call the top of the pops finish where it kind of has you can imagine them all like on top of the pops with backing like four or five backing dancers from the video and then you can just imagine it going day and night babe zoom like that and they all do a pose at the end and the camera freezes and then the audience go Woo! 
and then it goes back to, I don't know, whoever's presenting it. And that was Billy Piper with her smash new number one. And it just, it, this whole thing shot into my head and it was a bit like, oh, okay. It would make a great lip sync, wouldn't it? For that reason, you could finish yes. on a death drop. Yeah, I am always surprised that more kind of cheesy British goes at American R&B in the early 2000s haven't come up on uh, Drag Race lip sync for your life stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did a little bit of reading about this and I found out why her pop career wasn't longer. Um, and the circumstances mm-hmm. are quite unfortunate and quite sad, actually. Well, like, she ended up in court because a stalker made threats against her and her family's lives. And yeah. After that point, she just sort of went, I think this has probably gone too far. Like, Mm. I'd rather just back away. And that eventually results in another song that Billy recorded and was going to release as a single being remixed and being given to another artist that we will eventually cover on this show in the future, Mm. Um, which was um, The Tide Is High. Oh, Oh, I see. Mm. Yeah. Um, so obviously we'll talk about that when it comes around but yeah it's just strange story and a bit of an unfortunate uh, ending really Lizzie how do we feel about uh, day and night yeah well there was that stalker thing and there was also like she was in the press a couple of years ago saying that she was essentially well well, not not literally but she sort of talks about being pimp like young stars being essentially pimped out by agents and yeah um, she also said some stuff I disagree with about about Me Too and how she's like talks about oversexualized women in social media. It's like, you know, okay, your it's your life. But anyway, I didn't know about that. Oh dear, yeah, Billy. Yeah. Um. Well, they do say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Like, if you're gonna copy something, you may as well copy something good, right? And like with this single, Piper's moved on from her shaking spice phase and into her shaking spears era. <laughs> like I do, I do prefer this sound to the likes of "Because We Want to" and "Girlfriend." And the song itself is decent, but I don't think that Piper's performance is strong enough to really do it justice. Instead, I just get this sense of like a British peg being shoved into an American hole, which always sounds like a cheap imitation unless you really have the the energy and the charisma to pull it off and make it your own, which I don't think she really had at this time. And also, I don't care a jot about Doctor Who, so I've never seen any of that. She might be a great actress for all I know. So, yeah, can't really, can't really say if she improved, but yeah, I'm not convinced by this performance. But like I say, the song is okay. The highlight here is obviously the production. Much like Oops, I Did It Again, it has that spiky, hard-edged sound that was so popular around this time. But, yeah, I I wish the performance was slightly more convincing, though that's easier said than done when being compared to the effortlessness and immediacy of Britney Spears' output from this time. Sorry, Andy. Well, it's it, 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 it's okay, you don't have to say sorry to me, and I completely, <laughs> once again, acknowledge that my enjoyment, if you like, of Billy Piper is entirely based on Doctor Who, because she is fantastic in that. Um, and no, I, I won't take it personally, it's okay. I, I, I only say, have I, mild yeah. liking for this song, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I feel like if you did 
give this to Britney Spears, it would not sound out of place on her album at all. It's one of those where, I'm not saying it's generic, it's just, you know, it has that strong production where it's, it's, it's like a nailed on number one, unless you're an American, because she didn't do shit over there. <laughs> but, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I find myself, I like the song, but I do find myself distracted that you can, <laughs> I think you can see what they're going for so transparently and so clearly that mm-hmm. it's like, hmm, c- 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 I need to remember that this is the song I'm listening to, not, you know, I, I did, I did honestly always, every time, half expect that bass line to just start doing the Backstreet Boys, like I said, um, quite a lot but it does knock a couple of points off it for me oh well more than a couple but uh yeah it's not well actually i think you know it's it's definitely a decent single and like if it was in maybe like the first week or the second week of our show it may have stood a bit of a chance at being like my favorite one of the week but not this week there's much higher standards around yeah much better this week yeah yeah it doesn't it um because someone pointed out on our twitter that um you know that Max Martin trick of doing like the alternate chorus? Yeah. If only this song did that. <laughs> it, kind of, it, it sort of kind of does by using the bridge as a chorus. It kind of does that. That thing that Rob mentioned. Yeah. That's, that's a sort of half baked attempt at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh, aping Britney bingo card um, that <laughs> Billy Pipe has been ticking off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Next up is this. then this is sonic with it feels so good released as the second single from sonic's debut album hear my cry it feels so good is her third single overall and her first to reach number one it feels so good was originally released in november 1998 and it got to number 24 and that was considered to be that but after it was slightly remixed and released in the United States in January of 2000, it got to number eight on the Billboard charts and Sonic's record label decided to give it another go. After its re-release, it knocked Billy Piper off the top spot and stayed at number one for three weeks, which means that it had the joint longest reign at the top of the charts for the whole of the calendar year, 2000. It fought off competition from Reach by S Club 7, It's My Life by Bon Jovi, New Beginning by Stephen Gately, and Mama Huda Man by Richard Blackwood. When it was knocked off number one, it fell one place to number two, and by the time it left the charts, both versions of the song had racked up a total of 24 weeks. 
inside the top 100. Lizzie, how do we yeah. feel about Sonic? As a not as a person, a, a, the song, I mean. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, this is one of the very few number one singles from around this time that I still hear on a fairly regular basis, like you oh, know, really? on the radio huh. or on TV. Like I still, I because I know it still pops up in sort of adverts and things like that. It's very radio two friendly, not in a bad way, just in a kind of it has that sort of lasting feel. And it still sounds great. I think that's probably what the main reason why you still hear it, because it sounds great. It's a really good song. Like, there's not a lot going on lyrically in this, but what really carries this is the combination of that angular, amorphous production juxtaposed mm. with Sonique's velvety voice, which itself switches from, like, smooth and sultry in the verses to passionate and almost anguished in the chorus like there's that there's like this is full of little moments like there's like one bit at the end of the chorus that i especially love where you know she goes into falsetto and the timbre of her voice changes it's so completely. strange yeah. it's really yeah, strange yeah it's, you, it's like she, she sort of opens her vocal cords like how do you do that but, and then it's like it never happened. It just sounds completely natural because, like I say, she just sort of slides into it like it's nothing. And there's those early chorus parts as well where her vocals are like multi-tracked and she harmonises with herself, but sort of closely enough so that it has this unusual, like, alien quality about it. It's really interesting. And, like, speaking of alien... The backing track has this uneasy, distant quality about it, which I love, especially those abrasive synth pulses combined with the string stabs in the chorus. And like, there's a better way of explaining this, I'm sure, but um, much like Don't Call Me Baby, this is a nightclub track that embraces pop rather than trying to bend itself around it. Something like, you know, Don't Give Up from a few episodes ago sounds very much to me like a dance track first and a pop song second, which is fine in its own regard, but not necessarily what I look for in a pop song. I feel like this gets the balance just right, and because of that, it's probably my favourite song of this week's selection as a result. Mm. Yeah. I, it's funny how, like, Lizzie, you have expressed things that I have in my notes, but just with slightly different words. Yeah, me and too. And slightly right. different very, very references. Yeah. Like, the yeah. slightly alien quality to the whole song, the the way that it feels like it's, like you say, a, a, a club track that has embraced, or specifically a nightclub track that has embraced pop and welcomed mm. it in. Um First of all, to slightly uh, slightly paraphrase Superhands, uh, break beats are the best, get high all the time. Um, <laughs> slightly paraphrase. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, because, man, like, I'm going to be a fan of almost anything that uses break beats because I love them, but I just love the kind of quality to this. It reminds me of a couple of the garage tracks that we were, like, going through over previous weeks. Yeah, and we'll get a couple more. Yes, definitely. I... I like this so much that I think, not to kind of spoiler looking ahead, I may have to reconsider, but I think this is probably my single of the week. Um, it's a really close one, I will say. Yeah, th- I think this is my my personal uh, my personal favourite. How, how do we feel about it 
vault-wise, before I go any further, like... I'm nominating it for the vault. Yeah, yeah I would too. I'm, I'm, I'm close, yeah. I think after I'm finished talking, I may, I may tip myself over the edge because I can't decide, because I love this, but I can't decide to what degree. And I was hoping that while I was talking about it, I'd sort of meander my way to a, a conclusion. But there's this intense and immediate sense of atmosphere to this. Like, it's dark yeah. and it's brooding and it's even slightly threatening. In a, in a yeah, good way. I, yeah. I like this sense of anticipation that's brought on by those staccato strings, the ding, 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 at the beginning. Um, and it sounds... Future- this is where I was talking about the alien sci-fi thing that you mentioned. It sounds futuristic and slightly sci-fi, like it should be playing in the background of nightclub scenes in things like Tron Legacy a few years later you know like maybe Daft Punk could remix this for me please and stick it on in the back while Michael Sheen's wearing a hilarious white wig um (laughs) and you were talking about the lyrics I love the way that this really cleverly disguises what it actually is because it's a love song with very simple sentiments and kind of basic lyrics they're short and simple and effective and direct in a way that kind of reminds me of Beach Boys records, where often, like, the simplest sentiments communicated in the most direct way can be the most effective. Like, I always think about, um, I just wasn't made for these times, where the chorus is just, sometimes I feel very sad. Yeah, yeah. But the way that Brian Wilson performs them, they just ache with that kind of melancholy and bittersweet sadness that the Beach Boys are always so beautiful at conjuring and the way that Sonique performs these lyrics and the way that the track envelops her words it makes it all sound really sleek and sophisticated and it makes it I mean it's in a minor mode and Mm. it it just means that there's this slightly pitch bent element to the story that's coming through in the song and it ends up sounding like something that should not be listened to in daylight it yeah it feels like something that only suits the dark and I don't really have much more to say about this. I think that maybe other than the bass getting a little bit wobblier, there isn't much that announces the final chorus in a way that I would have expected or anticipated from a song that sounds like it's inches away from being sort of like like fantastic and like amongst one of my favorite songs of 2000, never let never mind singles or number one singles. But that last chorus is not a huge problem for me because what's already going on, I find it to be incredibly interesting. And like you say, her voice, I haven't heard a voice like hers before. It's really unusual, isn't it? Yeah, like you say, the way that she pronounces the it's you I'm always thinking of. And she brings a lot of variety and not to like, you know, slag them off. I, I quite like some of their songs, but I th- when I listen to Sonique, I think like... Why does Gary Lightbody always sound like that in every Snow Patrol song when Sonic can sound reference like point. <laughs> Well it's just Gary Lightbody no, never really does anything with yeah. his voice. Yeah, he I always kind mean. of yeah. he always kind of performs with that kind of slightly hushed melodic whisper singing and he never really breaks up or down from that. There's a couple of songs that he does it with it. But whereas with this, Sonic takes on several voices and modes through this song and it's like I just think, why can't more people do that? <laughs> why can't they add a bit of character yeah. to the voice? Yeah. Why can't you play a, a protagonist in a song rather than just perform it? 
Um, but yeah, Andy, what, what what do you think? Yeah, first of all, just to use some of my uh, musical knowledge, there, there there is a technical term for Snow Patrol, which is that they're shit. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> just to put that in there. Anyway, um, I, I it, it's uncanny how much you two have said exactly <laughs> what I wanted to say about this. Right, that, like you've hit this, some of the same keywords as me. I've got the word alien. I've got the word sci-fi. I've even got it's. So I think a possible explanation for the sci-fi sort of thing. Not explanation as such, but they, they, there is a common relationship with a certain type of futuristic dystopian sci-fi and progressive kind of dance music that has a yeah. very, very strong backbeat in it. That mm. but the, the, the classic example would be Blade Runner, that the score for that by Vangelis was very, very clearly inspired by a lot of the late 70s um, dance tracks. I Feel Love by Donna Summer is virtually sampled for the for the uh, for the final track of Blade Runner so I think that might be sort of what it is that there is that kind of commonality there but definitely I know exactly what you're saying with sci-fi that's exactly I'm picturing a cityscape at night with neon lights as I listen to this yeah, maybe that was in the video punk. I don't know are we all kind yeah. of retrospectively remembering the video I didn't watch the video for this I don't know but it's definitely there um 100% agree about the voice as well and I, I, I to be fair Rob I, I completely agree with you about how it is such a simple easy thing to do that very few artists actually bother to do which is just do something interesting with your voice because when yeah. you do it just instantly gives you a USP it instantly makes you so much more interesting it's it's you, obviously Lady Gaga uses it to a very very famous effect quite a lot. Shakira was quite known for it with that. I'll be there and you'll be near. You know, it's it's really yeah. easy to do, but it gives your songs a little bit of extra flair. Yeah, we haven't this one in a couple of years. You know. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah, not that this one needs any extra flair though, because it's got so much going on. It's got amazing yeah. production. Um, it's 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 also it's several different genre influences here. It's a very difficult blend to get right, and I think it's one of those songs that makes a very difficult idea sound very easy. That it's it's it sounds very flawless and like just a really chilled out, enjoyable track. But there's so many component parts here. There's so many odd things that are going on with Sonic's voice, with the production, with the choices of kind of structure. There is a lot going on in the song, and I really, really admire it. Um, I kind of had to look into whatever happened to Sonic because she, you know, hasn't really been around since then. Um, she she did fairly quickly drop out of the mainstream spotlight after this album, but she's still plugging away. She's still doing collaborations all the time, doing all sorts nice. of songs. Yeah, I am kind of intrigued um, to see what she's doing because if, I mean, I'm not expecting everything to be of this quality, but any artist that can release a song of this quality has certainly won my attention. Um, so yeah, I, I think she may well be one that I do some extra research on after this week. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely love it. For me, just in terms of my history with it, just because you mentioned Lizzie that you've heard this a lot, you know, consistently since then, I actually haven't. That this was another oh, right. in terms of the, okay. in terms of my history with it. This was another pure shores in that loved it at the time, and then went a clear ten years without hearing it at all. And then came back to it where it just popped up on my Spotify and I was like, whoa, this is just as good as I remember. This is really good. This is really, really great. Um, And yeah, absolute, absolute, my favourite song of the week without a doubt and going into the vault as well. Lizzie, are you 100% on the vault? Absolutely. There we go. It's carried there. 
Hey, go. well, it's yeah. unanimous. Glad you got there, Robert. If you were going to say no, then doesn't matter anyway. But glad yeah. to have it unanimous. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's a wonderful song. Easily my favorite of the week. I think, other than Pure Shores, probably my favorite song we've covered so far in the whole show. Yeah, absolutely awesome. love this. Yeah. All right then. Next up is this. Nineteen seventy five, we brought you an album with a song. So this is Black Legend with You See the Trouble with Me. Released as Black Legend's debut single in the UK, You See the Trouble with Me was a standalone single and Black Legend's first and only single to reach uh, the number one spot in the UK. Their follow-up, Like My Fire, never charted, and eventual third single, Somebody, only reached number 37 in 2001. When You See The Trouble With Me was planned to be released as a single, they were made aware that Barry White had not given permission for the duo to use his original vocal track, so the vocals were re-recorded by Black Legend collaborator Elroy Spoonface Powell, and the song went on to be a successful single across Europe. Uh, it reached the top 10 in Belgium and Ireland as well, and it charted at number 6 on the Eurochart Hot 100. This knocked Sonic off the top spot and stayed at number one for one week, fighting off competition from Darude Sandstorm, which, if you look on the official charts, jumps up a hell of a lot of places to get to number three, and Porcelain by Moby, which uh, reached number five, and we, we played that on, on the show last week. Uh, when it was knocked off number one, it dropped one place to number two, and by the time it left the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 16 weeks. Um. This is my least favourite song of the week. Me too. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's another big dance track from the clubs that seems to have broken through and has found yeah. itself at number one. And like, you can kind of tell that this was maybe a bit of a surprise or a bit of an intended one-off because, like, you know, they were told late about the sample not getting cleared, and then there's no actual album that it's part of. This isn't like a promotional vehicle for something bigger. It just kind of is what it is on its own. Um, they seem to me like a group that's more focused on doing DJ mixes and their solo projects and you know things like that. You look them up on Spotify and the only thing they've actually got is a DJ mix of other artists' work. You know, there's no album. It's yeah. just the singles yeah. they released and nothing else. But is it any good? Uh, I think it's fine. I think, you know, this is the second song this week that definitely says, like, yep, 
disco is here to stay and it's still a force and you know i appreciate that you know the the dance sections when the barry white sample well kind of but not really um when that's playing i think they're kind of striking like the combination of the piano stabs and the you know the the kind of untis kind of backbeat and you've got the see untis trouble with me and it's got a good kind of kicking rhythm to it um i'm into those sections but when the when that's not happening it's very repetitive and not in a way that rewards kind of like allowing yourself to be hypnotized or mesmerized by it. I imagine like when you're in a context where you don't feel time passing, this goes over great, but I'm not in that context. And so I do feel time passing and I'm analyzing it with different faculties than I would if I was at a club night and I was just kind of like, yeah, woo, you know, having a great time. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever finished this song without skipping the sort of like the last 15, 20 seconds where I'm sort of like, right, okay, come on, get me into the next song now. Like, I'm, you know, I've got to get some notes down. Because you just get that same kind of boop, 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 boop noise like someone's hitting the end of a pipe. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's fine, but it does get on my nerves a little bit. It's not bad. I think it's just not my thing. Like, I'm always going to appreciate something that's pretty non-commercial and slightly subversive to the pop structures getting to number one but on this occasion i'm just kind of like maybe feeling a little bit like andy did with um oxide and neutrino last week where it's like yep yeah, can see what it's going for enjoy bits of it but i'm just kind of more excited about other things that are happening yeah. at the same time mm. andy how do we feel about the you see the trouble with me etc yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of pretty much echo what you've said, to be honest, Rob. Although I do actually prefer this slightly to Bound for the Reload, just because, you know, when I, when I say Bound for the Reload, I can't not say it in that rhythm, Bound for the Reload. <laughs> <laughs> just made myself laugh there. I, sli- I slightly prefer this just because I think it has a little bit more life to it, but uh, it, it's not a big not a big gulf there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with most of what you said there, Rob. It's a bit strange, this, isn't it? A bit weird. Um, I'm a bit confused as to how this got to number one, to be honest. Um, because there are long segments, long segments of this song where absolutely nothing is happening, where you could just copy and paste the last eight bars and put it in front, which is probably what happened um, in some sections of the song. And... <laughs> it's funny actually that I, I listened to the songs you know a couple of times this week all of the songs and one of the times I listened through is when I was in the car um, and I will tell you my husband was not happy with me for sitting through all of this the full five minutes of it <laughs> about two minutes in he turns to me and was like what the fuck is this because we hadn't yet reached that first I want to call it chorus it's not really a chorus we hadn't really reached that yet so it had just been that two minutes of that boop 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 which sounded like that flat beat, flat Eric song. Um, it did yeah, just yeah. kind of inane. Mm. And if that had gone on much longer, I would have been nominating this for the pie hole, to be honest. Um, when it gets to that sample that isn't a sample, when it gets to that section, the actual You See the Trouble With Me section, vastly improves. That bit, I can see why that's popular, yeah. and, and I sure. quite like that section. Nowhere near enough of it, though. I would say that probably, I didn't time it, but that probably takes up about a minute and 30 of the whole mm. song and then there's probably like a clear three and a half minutes that is just that dum, 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 with absolutely nothing going on um, 
it's way, way too long, which is remarkable because this is the radio edit that we've all listened to. This is the shorter version. There is an even longer version than this that truly <laughs> outstays its welcome. Um, no, I'm not a fan of this particularly. It's definitely my least favourite one of the week. I don't think it's awful, but I would level a lot of the same criticisms that I did of Bound for the Reload at this in that it's confused it doesn't really seem to have a clear notion of what this song is and what its intentions are it's not tightly edited in terms of time nor is it tightly edited in terms of content it's uh, it's a bit of a hot mess but by the time it's over maybe maybe just because it's gone on for what feels like an age it kind of was getting my foot tapping i was getting into the you see the trouble with me sections on the whole though it's a miss this one yeah i'm not a huge fan yeah yeah it's just something you um no it's gone out my head so i'm gonna send to lizzie and then think about it <laughs> lizzie <laughs> uh, lizzie what did you make of this yeah completely agree with you both I, like i really don't have many notes on this because what is there to say really um like you i got you know i got tired of the, the sort of thudding and i think Again, like I've said so many times, this is meant for a context that I wouldn't have understood then and I don't really understand now. But in terms of how it got to number one, I'd imagine that it's kind of like, you know when you get super DJs like Swedish House Mafia or something, or you get those big labels like Defected who kind of specialise in this sort of thing. Yeah. And they'll, I don't know, this will play at a club or a festival or something, and people will hear it on the night and they'll think, that's the fucking best thing I've ever heard, I need that, what is that? And, like, they've got that devoted fan base who will just buy it in droves and then, you know, just it'll drift out the charts afterwards. So, I can kind of understand, like, how it did get to number one, and obviously the, you know, the, the chorus, I guess you could call it, the, the, the not Barry White bit is is really good and i did find myself sort of going back to that thinking yeah this is great it's like why didn't they have more of this and it's like the fact that they only have like like you say it's only about a minute in the song it feels like i don't know it's like edge porn in music form like you you think it's gonna get to that climax (laughs) and it never does it just sort of gets slightly just underneath the ceiling and then just sort of peters away and back down to nothing. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I definitely don't hate this. I think the, the the you see the trouble with me bit is enough to elevate it to, like, okay, sort of thumbs in the middle. But, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Could have been Could have been better, I think. It feels like, now that I think about it, it feels like a bit of a dry run for something that would happen sort of in the more the mid-2000s where they would take songs from the artists and DJs would take songs from the 70s and the 80s and just play the whole song but with a more aggressive backing beat. I'm thinking of stuff like um, Thunder In My Heart, you know, Mech and Leo Sayer. And um, yeah. Tell Me Why by Supermode, which is just Small Town Boy, just played with a more aggressive backing beat and stuff yeah. like that, where it yeah. feels like, oh, people just want the original song, but 
more up tempo. Okay, it's a bit then. like um, yeah. it's, it's like Call on Me as well, where it's just like right, exactly. we've got the best bit of the song. Yeah. We're just gonna like compress it to fuck and play it over and over again. <laughs> and then um, like, Falling Stars by Sunset Strippers as well, which takes yeah. um, uh, Boy Meets Girl and just basically just turns it into a dance song. Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, that that's you know that's easy ground for stuff like that because that song by Boy Meets Girl is just one chorus after another. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't know which is another one of these like chorus that is actually a bridge and then the actual chorus comes and it's like whoa whoa how did they get this idea and so yeah it's fine but it just feels a bit sparse i think sparse is probably the word actually yeah, I, yeah. There's, there's there's really shameless amount of times amounts of time sorry of like 30 to 40 seconds where i think how can a producer sit and listen to that and think that's finished you know, th- th- we, there must be something more you can add. And I don't mean that quite as harshly as it sounds, but I really just can't get past that, to be honest, of, like, where's this song going? What, why is it so long and with so little justification? It's just strange to me, yeah. I do have, like, a really small question about this. Do we know if this was recorded live or if that audience is piped in? Oh, definitely. I mean, well, I don't know, but to me it sounds definitely piped in. Um, yes. To me, it sounds very, very choice. artificial, yeah. <laughs> What about you? Do you think it sounds piped in? It probably is. I just thought, like, why would you do that? That's Just record it live if you're going to go down that route, because I'm sure people would respond similarly, but you'd mm. get a more authentic effect. Yeah. Well, the mystery continues. Our final number one for this week is this. Okay, this is Kylie Minogue with Spinning Around. Released as the lead single from her seventh studio album, Light Years, Spinning Around is Kylie Minogue's 27th single overall and her fifth single to reach number one. This knocked Black Legend off the top spot and stayed at number one for one week, fighting off competition from Babylon by David Gray, which got to number five. When it was knocked off number one, it fell two places to number three, and by the time it left the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 13 weeks. Um, this was challenging with um, Sonic for favourite of the week, but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no. 
Kylie's got better stuff than this. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. For sure. This is the third and final track for me this week that does make the case that disco is like, yeah, it's healthy, promise, it never sucked, and stuff like that. I think, you know, it's something that Kylie has always argued with her music. Like, and she goes on to argue very prominently through the rest of the noughties, actually. Like, if you listen to Fever or the singles from X or Body Language, like, this isn't exactly new territory for Kylie, and it's not the last time she'll be in this territory either. But I do like it a lot, and I think I'm on the edge of loving it, but I feel like the time we finish talking about it, I'm going to go the opposite way to what I did with Sonique. I think this has one of Kylie's best intros, like that synth at the beginning that bleeds in the air. I do like that. That sounds like it's going from like a high end to a low end kind of filter, and it has those striking, swirling strings, like they hit and then it's boomer off. But for me, Kylie's at her best, and no spoilers intended here, but when she's doing that kind of seductive, kind of sexy whisper instead. I think on here, she's in her upper register, and she sounds great, but that slightly shrill nature to the song, it just takes the edge off. Like, I prefer the songs that she does that sound kind of mysterious like they tease Mm. you and like they threaten you with a good time and they invite you in rather than the ones that just kind of push you through the door so like i'm you know like can't get you out of my head confide in me slow it's in your eyes come into my world like there's something dark and smooth and enticing about those in ways that songs like wow and love at first sight and this one they're kind of happy to be very in your face and they tell you exactly how they feel. And, like, I I love all those songs too. Like, Wow is... I I really like Wow and Love at First Sight is one of my favourites off Fever, but when I'm really, really splitting hairs and deciding, like, which of Kylie's best stuff do I think, like, is, is better, I always find myself coming back round to, like, that... You know, the um the the weird kind of descending synth line in the back of coming to my world like that the thing that kind of hangs around behind her and you're like what's going on here um i love the kind of new disco electro disco production on this that's like kylie's forte beyond this point um i think it's got one of her more memorable chorus lines too yeah um this is another song about a woman that's taking ownership of her own space and sexuality in a crowd of people. Like, I think there is a theme developing this week, um, unintentionally, obviously, but, like, whether it's visually with the Madison Avenue, Sonic, and Kylie videos, where it's a woman dancing or moving through a space filled with people, but the visuals make it clear that it's her space, and it's her doing this. Like the, the the only time in this video where we don't see, in these videos where we don't see a woman dancing in a crowd of people making her own space, it's when Sonique is in her own flat, like, you know, doing turntable stuff and putting the record down, and then we transition and she's on a stage in a club doing like, you know, DJ mixing and stuff like that. And it's all about being in women's spaces. And this seems to be about like women in crowds kind of just trying to go their own way either visually or lyrically or in terms of how the songs 
feel that there does seem to be like a, a theme established a through line through this episode which i don't think we've really looked for or had before where it just seems very clearly like madison avenue it's like you know don't call me baby watch my cool dance moves at this house party with sonique it's like she wants to talk about how much she loves someone and here i am on a stage and here i am in my own flat and here i am on a street while everybody else is kind of time-lapse walking around me, I'm the only one moving at normal pace. And just look at me, just look at me. And like with Kylie Minogue, it's like, here I am in a crowd of people, dancing, making my own way, you know, and then in the song, she's like, get out of my way, it's me, I'm dancing, it's my night. Uh, yeah, that's, and I think that I like it because of that, but I think it's just lacking a bit of, there's an edge and a mystery to some of Kylie's best material that this doesn't quite have. I think that's what's maybe lacking for me. But uh, Andy, what about you? Yeah, so it's 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 a very interesting time to look back on in Kylie's career. This because the well, what is for me the great Kylie decade is just getting started here. That pretty mm. much happens to coincide directly with the noughties going slightly into the tens. Uh, but it's her great period of becoming, I think not just a very well-loved pop star, but becoming an icon. I think it really happens in the noughties. I think if you look back that Kylie then is not Kylie now, that it, it's easy to forget how recently at the time, not really recently, but she was relatively... I don't know what the word for it is. She was She was much newer on the game than I think we imagine now, looking back, that we all kind of feel like Kylie's been around for forever. But she'd been around for about sort of 12, 13 years at this time. Like Robert said, she'd only had four number ones at this point. She was not like the Kylie that we know now. And that was when this started, really. Um, that she just sort of starts releasing direct hit after direct hit after direct hit. And it's a lovely discography to go through at this time. But I think it says something about this era and how good it is for her that a song that I really like like this, a song as decent as this, is definitely nowhere near one of the highlights of the noughties for me, for Kylie. It's, um, it does sort of, I don't want to say lack something, because I do really, really like this, but it doesn't have that extra special sparkle that would really take it over the top, I think. It does have that trademark noughties Kylie style that she would make such a success of, of combining disco influences, very in-your-face classic pop, and rampant sexuality, in sort of different balances of measures. Some songs go heavier on the disco, some songs go heavier on the pop, some songs go heavier on the sexuality. Um, but this is a sort of equal combination of the three, where it's just a very straightforward mainstream pop song that makes a really great success of it. Um, it's got a great bridge, really, really, really great bridge. Um, mm. it, I love that baby, 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 love me like this. That effect that people used to do that you get in Don't Stop Moving by S Club as well, that love me like this. It's just <laughs> infectious. You never get that outside of like a very specific two or three years. It's like the only years where you ever got that effect, but it was all over the place. Um, I really, really do like it, but there is so much better to come. And I think that this is sort of like Star Wars A New Hope in that it's a very great start to a series that will then have infinitely better entries following it. It's just a very great starting point, really. I do think what it is for me, what could really send it over, is that it just needs a little bit of something in the last chorus, something different. 
in that last chorus. Not a key change. Not a key change. I've definitely ruled that out. So I don't know what it is that I'm asking for, but I think it just could do with a sort of, well, why should I stick with this? Why should I not like skip after the first chorus? Because I've kind of heard it now. There's something, just something I could do with a little bit more in that last chorus, which is the only thing that I think holds it back from being a proper Kylie classic. Uh, but as it is, it's still it's still a really, really great song. I, it's definitely not at the level of It Feels So Good For Me. I think that's definitely my favourite of this week. But this is just a very, very solid pop song that makes it clear that Kylie is here to stay and that she has many, many more tricks up her sleeve, which I cannot wait to talk about in future weeks. So for me, this is just a kind of wetting the appetite. Good start, lots more to come. Yeah. And to take us home, Lizzie, how do we feel about spinning around? Yeah, it's funny because I sort of mentally placed this after Can't Get You Out of My Head. For some reason, I remembered Can't Get You Out of My Head as being, you know, Kylie's big comeback single. Because, you know, in the mid-90s, like, I want to say between 1994 and this song, she didn't hit the top ten at all. Like, mm. Yeah, she but, went off and know, did weird stuff like Impossible Princess and and things like that. Yeah, and she was in films with like Jean-Claude Van Damme and I think she spoke quite openly at the time as, as like she you know regretted Impossible Princess and you know it seemed like you know maybe that was it because like how many you know late 80s pop stars in particular were still knocking around like you didn't see Rick Astley still having hits in the top 10 or whatever or uh, Kylie's best mate Jason Donovan <laughs> yeah exactly or uh, Ross kind of, I yeah. think the only, I think oh, the gosh, only, yeah. I think the only other one really is Madonna, who has, has exactly, always yeah. had invited so many comparisons. They have so similar a career path um, through the eighties, nineties, and noughties. Yeah, yeah. It's like they, they were all swept away, sort of in the, the early nineties, not for any particular reason, just because it's the passage of time. It happens, and yeah, it's like you say, Rob. It is that ownership of her sexuality, but I think it's ownership of her past and just being able to move on from it, being able to admit that, you know, you've maybe not made the best decisions in the past, but, you know, she's through with the past. No point in looking back. The future will be. And did she forget to mention that she's found a new direction and it leads back to her? (laughs) Um, This is it. This is just her big re-coming out party. It's you know, taking ownership of her sound and not letting herself be locked into that trap that so many of those Stock Ake and Waterman artists were, where they could never really escape it, because mm. it's like a similar sort of thing would happen with like Simon Cowell artists in a few years, where they just get they just get lumped with that label and they can never ever move past it. And like, you know, one of the few examples recently has is like Harry Styles but that is the exception rather than the rule Um, but yeah I I agree with you both in that she definitely has bigger tricks up her sleeve but I really like this I think it's another solid you know disco infused track from this week also I kind of you know the intro bit where it's you know the I was I kind of maybe I misremembered this but I was sure that that sample the intro to September by Earth, Wind and Fire. But I can't find anything about it online. I don't think so. I know exactly what you mean, but I don't think that's actually a sample. I think it's just an inspiration. Um, you know the Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's actually sampled. 
it, interesting yeah, maybe thought, it's not. I think it's yeah. it's like um yeah, it's like an homage rather than a direct sample. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Ah, all right then. Well, what a lovely week. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was a very good week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hope you've uh, we hope you've all enjoyed listening to this one. Uh, we'll be back next time to uh, cover the period from the second of July through to the fifth of August. Ooh. So. Yeah, a lot of number ones. Just so many number ones in the year two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> a veritable smorgasbord. It never months. ends. But One yes. day we'll reach Christmas. One day. <laughs> yes. And We're spinning on... around. Move out of our way. Yes. Yeah. All those number one singles that we have to disperse. But yes, okay. We will be back for those. Um, the sum next week. I'm really looking forward to talking to. Me too. And oh, talking definitely. about talking to you about. So yeah, okay. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. Bye bye. See ya.